Well, good morning, Northridge. How are you guys? I want to welcome those of you who are at Brighton today, or maybe you're at Grosseal, maybe you're watching online, wherever you're at. We're so glad that you're here. My name's Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge, and we're just uh, honored that you would be here today, especially if you're a guest. I know that sometimes, like, visiting a church for the first time is, like, crazy scary, and so uh, we hope that you'll just feel right at home and relax. We're just again, honored that uh, you would be here. So we're in this uh, summer series, and um, I think we've been having a good time this summer. Have you guys been having a good time this summer? Yeah? Good. And uh, we've been covering lots of different topics with lots of different speakers. And today I want to talk a little bit about this whole idea that sometimes small things can have a really big impact on our life. That sometimes small things can change the entire like, trajectory of your life. I'll give you a couple kind of examples, all right? For instance, like a rudder on a boat, right, is a very small thing, but it can have tremendous change on the direction, right, of where that boat's going to go. So even if it's like a massive boat, that little rudder is going to have like a big impact, right? Uh, A match, right, Uh, just a small spark, a small, like just beginning of a fire can spread and have a massive impact, right? Uh, salt. Uh, I love salt, by the way. I, I'm, I, I put salt on everything before I even taste it. I just already assume it's going to need some salt. But just a little bit of this stuff can completely change the way that your food tastes. Uh, a seed, very small seed, can grow a massive tree, something small that has a huge impact. Uh, A microchip. Uh, They were telling me, I asked earlier today, like, how many books? I was thinking, like, maybe maybe a thousand books you could put on a microchip. They're like, no, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of books could fit on one tiny little microchip, something so small, right? But it has a tremendous amount of power, a tremendous amount of storage. It can hold, like, so much. And then... There's the mouth, right? The human mouth, something that is so small, but yet can have such a huge impact on your life. Now, I'm going to start by telling you three things that I know about you. The first is this, that you use words. You do. You use words. You use words every single day. You're using words. Some of you use a lot of words, right? Some of you don't know when to stop using words. You just keep going and going. Uh, Studies show that if you're the average male, you uh, use about 7,000 words per day. If you're an average female, I didn't do the study, all right? I'm just simply reporting the facts. Average female, you use about 20,000 words a day. Um, so if you've ever wondered why, like, you know, when you're kind of sitting around at night and, um, you know, your husband's already spent 6,500 of his words for the day, you know, and you still have 15,000 more to go, the conversation might be a little out of balance. All right. Uh, and so it's not our fault, ladies. It's just, we're limited with the amount of words that we know how to spend, but we use words, right? Every day words are somehow shaping and, and, and forming the life that we live. And I'm a fan of words. I love words. I love the power of words. I understand as someone who basically communicates for a living, writes, that there's a lot of power in the words that we use. 
The Bible reminds us of this a lot. This is Proverbs chapter 18. It says, a tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Wow, the tongue has the power of life and death. The words that you use have the power of life and death. So let me ask you a question kind of as we start off today. The question is this. Are you speaking life-giving words or life-taking words? And when you just think about the conversations that you have day in and day out with friends and neighbors and coworkers and loved ones, are you speaking life-giving words or are they life-taking words? Because here's the deal. There are no such thing as neutral words. Every word that you speak has some kind of direction to it. So is it moving in the direction of life-giving or is it moving in the direction of life-taking? It's really important every once in a while, I think, to slow down and think about this. Your words have the power of life-giving or life-taking, and you get to choose. There's no such thing as neutral words. And so if you're speaking words that are moving in the direction of life-giving, you're speaking words that are encouraging and hopeful, loving, peaceful, words of unity and instruction, words of wisdom. If you're speaking words that are life-taking words and they're moving in that direction, you're talking about words of malice and slander and jealousy and racism and judgment and condemnation. So again, just as you kind of think about your daily conversations, and I would say for the vast majority of us, we speak both life-giving words and we also speak some life-taking words. But as you kind of evaluate your life, what are you speaking more of? And I really just kind of have this very simple overarching prayer for all of us as a church family this weekend is that when we walk out of this place, we will never, ever again think about our words as if they don't matter because your words do matter. And for some of you, if you want to change your life, you need to start changing the way that you speak, right? You want to change your world, change your words because they're very much connected. So what I know about all of us is that we use words. Second thing that I know about all of us is this. Your deepest pain and your greatest joy have probably been accompanied by words. Whoever said that talk is cheap was a liar because words are not cheap. Words can hurt. Words can heal. They can hinder. They can help. But they're not cheap. They're quite expensive. Wars have been started with words Murders have been initiated with words. Relationships have ended because of words. Children's self-esteem have been shattered because of words. And I know like in my own life, the, the most sad moments and also the most celebratory moments in my entire life have been accompanied by the words of others. I was reminded this week, um, I don't get this a whole lot, but from time to time, people just like love throwing some kind of insult my way, and uh, it usually comes via social media, and so this individual sent me a pretty nasty uh, comment, and essentially, I, I won't go into all the details, but I think the words pathetic and an embarrassment to your kids uh, was used in her comment. And uh, I don't know the individual. I don't don't even know where they live. I I certainly don't know them, and they don't know me at all. And those words, I I, I was having a hard time shaking them. It was just still bothering me. Like 24 hours later, I'm still thinking about, like, those words. And I remember just kind of sitting there and just kind of praying and being like, I don't, why does this bother me so much? Is this somebody who doesn't know me? They don't know my life. 
And, and then the more I thought about it, it's like, those words bother you because they were designed to bother you, right? Like everybody, I have a human soul and God has wired us all in such a way that when those words, whatever the words are, land on our soul, again, there's no neutral words. So it's either life giving or it's life taking. Those words felt like they were life taking. And so I was reminded that, oh my gosh, the power of our words Right? There are no neutral words, and our words, even when you speak them to somebody who you really don't even have an influence in their life, it will impact the way that they feel in that moment. I am the sum total of both the good statements and the bad statements that have been spoken over me in my life. And if you think about this, this has been true of your life. Some of you are eternally grateful to parents or friends or teachers or coworkers or maybe a boss who have spoke life-giving words to you that have absolutely impacted the trajectory of your life. And when you think about those people, you are just unbelievably grateful for them and the way they've impacted you. In the same way, though, I talk to people all the time who are 45, 55, 65 years old who will tell me about some really painful moment when they were a child, when maybe their parents called them something or said something about them. And when they're telling me about those words that were spoken decades and decades ago, there'll, there'll be tears running down their cheeks as if they heard those words yesterday. And I'm just reminded that there is a scary, painful, long-term shelf life to ugly, hateful, and abusive talk. And some of you know this all too well. You replay all the time that moment decades ago when you were on the playground and that other kid called you fat. You just can't shake that. You remember the exact moment, exactly where you were standing when that boss called you incompetent. Right? You remember that time your dad looked at you and said you were stupid. And it didn't matter what kind of grades you got the rest of your life. You still go back to that moment and it impacts you. There is a scary, painful, long-term shelf life. The hateful, abusive, ugly talk. So what I know about you is that you use words. I also know that your greatest joy and some of your deepest hurt has been accompanied by words. And the third thing I know about you is that your world of words can also be a world of trouble. And I know this about you because I know me. And I know that my words can be a world of trouble. Um, we've all had conversations, haven't we, where we wish we could go back in the history and take those words back. We've all used words with other people that we wish, oh my gosh, I wish they never would have heard that. I wish I never would have said that. Like things that we're just not proud of, things that we've said to our kids or we've said to a loved one. And, and you know what? We live in a culture now too where we have extra temptations because uh, I think email and I think social media has really complicated this issue. Like, just think about email. I mean, how many of you wish, like, there was a function on your computer that when you sent an email, that, like, 30 minutes later, your computer would just kind of prompt you to say, hey, are you really sure you want to send this email, right? And then at that moment, 30 minutes later, you could make the decision whether or not you really wanted to send that email. Like, there have been times I've hit send, and, like, right afterwards, I'm like, no, like, no, I didn't mean to do that, right? It complicates everything. And there is something about 
the anonymity about email and social media that leads people to a level of sarcasm and hostility that they would never engage in if they were looking another human being in the eyes. Right? What I've discovered is people are unbelievably brave when they're hiding behind their computer. Unbelievably brave. So my encouragement in this area for all of us is just, hey, the more sensitive the subject, if at all possible, it needs to take place in person. The, the likelihood that you will regret saying something that you send when you're behind a computer or behind your phone escalates real quick because we have this kind of false sense of bravery when you're not looking somebody in the eyes. So the more sensitive the subject, I just encourage you to take the time to deliver those words in person because it changes everything when you're looking into the eyes of another human being. Now, Jesus knew that our world of words could also be a word of trouble. And Jesus actually had quite a bit to say about the power of our words. Look at this, Matthew chapter 12. He said, good trees produce good fruits. Bad trees produce bad fruits. You can always tell a tree by its fruits. That's true, right? I have a little farm, and on my farm I have peach trees, and I have some pear trees, and I have some apple trees that I've planted. And sometimes it's hard to tell, like in the winter, exactly which tree is what, but I promise you, in the summer, when there's fruit on them, I know exactly, right? The, the tree that has apples on it, that is an apple tree. Like, I nail that every single time, right? Jesus is saying here, you can always tell a tree by its fruit. He goes on to say, you children of snakes, you who are evil, how could you possibly say anything good? For the mouth simply shapes the heart's impulses into words. And so the good man who's filled with goodness speaks good words, and the evil man who's filled with evil speaks evil words. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is if you've got a mouth problem, actually, it's much worse than you thought, because you don't really just have a mouth problem. What you have is a heart problem. Have you ever said something, and then you immediately followed up with, oh, I don't know where that came from. I do. It came from your heart, right? And that's hard, like, for us to sometimes, you know, be honest about. But that's exactly where it came from. Like, what Jesus is saying is that the words that come out of our mouth originate in our heart. So you don't have a mouth problem. You have a heart problem. So if you find yourself where your words tend to move towards the life-taking direction, the words of gas gossip and slander, the words of um, racism, the words of of judgment, right? The real problem is not so much your mouth. The real problem is that there's something going on in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And I believe that God's goal in all of this is not that we just avoid saying mean things, right? Like, I, I think this is really important to think about. This is much broader than just the topic that we're talking about right now. But God's goal for mankind has never just been sin avoidance. Right? So the goal here, in other words, is not that you get to a place where you just never speak anything mean. If that were true, you could just make a vow that you're never going to talk. Right? But, but the, the problem with creating a, a relationship with God that's always based around sin avoidance is the exact same problem that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders during Jesus' day, created a religion that was all about sin avoidance. They created hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. They called them fence laws. And these fence laws kept you 
away from breaking whatever the real law was. Their whole relationship with God was based on sin avoidance, which did not lead to joy, right? Not at all. It was not life-giving whatsoever. So in other words, it's possible that our, our world could be void of sin and it still wouldn't necessarily bring joy to the heart of God. Because God's goal is so much more than just sin avoidance. And so if you never talked, there would never be any expression of life. There would never be any creative ideas. There would never be any articulation of hope. And, and so uh, there'd never be any wisdom. There would never be any counsel. So there's an element of power to our words. In the same way they can be extremely cutting and life-taking, they can also be equally as life-giving. And as I said earlier, God has designed the human soul where your words will either destroy it or build it up. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Wow, is that not convicting? That's unbelievably convicting to me. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Right? According to their needs. What's that mean? That means that you should have some kind of level of awareness about the people in your life and the needs that they have. There should be some level of curiosity going on inside of you about the people around you and what it is that they may or may not be going through. Because I'll tell you a secret, and this is a secret about every single person that you get to lock eyes with. This is true of your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. This is true of your kids. This is true of your coworkers and your neighbors. This is true of the individual that's sitting on your row right now. This is true of the stranger that you follow on Instagram that you have never met. Every single person, no matter how well put together they may appear, everyone needs healing. Everyone. And your words have been designed by the God of the universe to either be a part of that healing or to continue to do further damage into that individual's life. I mean, think about that. With your words, people can discover that God loves them. With, with your words, like people can find out that they matter. With your words, people can find out that they could have a second chance. People can discover forgiveness. Right? People can discover that they are qualified to chase after whatever dream God's placed on their hearts. And so here's another question that I think is really important for us to ask. Who in your life do you need to give the wonderful gift of starting over? Who in your life just needs to receive this gift of starting over? Because it is one of the most beautiful gifts that you could ever give another human being. Let me tell you a quick story out of the New Testament about a guy that we really don't hear a whole lot about in Scripture. His name's Barnabas, and um, he pops up a couple times in the New Testament. He's a very, really interesting guy, and I think he has a great story that kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Acts chapter 4 is the first time that we hear anything about him, and it says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, interesting thing about um, Barnabas is that he was from Cyprus, which means he was not from Israel. So he's what they would have called a Hellenist. All right? And a Hellenist is just an Israelite that was born overseas. They regarded, you know, people, Israelites that were born overseas in a different way. And so he's kind of looked at as 
defiled, right? He, he would have been looked at as if he had picked up some kind of Gentile ways. So we know like from the book of Acts and a couple different places that there was a lot of conflict, uh, a lot of hostility between the native-born Israelites and these Hellenists. So for instance, Barnabas would not have been allowed to serve in the temple. Now you would think if someone had you know, told you, let's just make up a scenario. Let's just say that somebody said, you, you could attend Northridge, but you can't actually ever serve here. We don't think you're like good enough to serve. Uh, you might have some bitterness towards the church, right? But not Barnabas. It's really interesting. Like, even though he wasn't allowed to serve, even though he was looked upon as like defiled and having picked up Gentile ways, the first thing that we read about him is that he sees a need. He sees that there's poverty, and he's like, I've got some land. I could sell that land. And he does, and he gives the money to the temple. So after Barnabas gives, he has this moment of generosity. We don't see him again for five more chapters. We get to Acts chapter 9, and we read something interesting. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So there's this guy by the name of Saul. Saul will eventually become Paul. But right now he's Saul. And he has this reputation for going after and murdering and torturing Christians. But Saul has this amazing story where he has this transformation. And he, he meets Jesus and uh, everything changes in his life. And he becomes a Christian. His problem is that the early Christians didn't necessarily trust him. So, you know, all of a sudden Saul shows up and he wants to be a part of the, the local church. And everybody's like, ah, I don't know, this is the same guy, like, you know, that was a murderer. So it just, again, imagine this guy shows up at Discovering Northridge and he's sitting next to you, right? And you know his reputation of what he's done. So they're having a hard time trusting him. Like every time he walks in the church, you're like, how's your kids? How's your wife? Like this is, you know, here comes Paul, right? This is not a good scenario. So they decide that they'll send Barnabas to kind of vet Saul. They're like, you know what? He's a Hellenist. Who cares if something happens to him anyway? You know, well, let's send him. To, he can check out Saul. So Barnabas does that. Barnabas goes and he spends some time with Saul. He gets to know him. He sees the transformation. He comes back to the church and Barnabas uses his words to essentially stand up for Saul and say, no, you guys have this wrong. This guy has had an unbelievable transformation. Like he's not who he used to be. Like he's different. And so then we read in Acts 9, verse 28, so Saul stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Saul is going to go on to be the greatest missionary to the Gentiles ever. Saul is going to go on to become Paul, who writes half of the New Testament, right? Paul changes the world, but it only happens because Barnabas uses his words to stand up for him and encourage him and breathe life into him and, and, and stand up for him. Like, Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life because these people are willing to give you an incredible gift. They are willing to say that who you were yesterday does not necessarily impact who you are today. They believe deep into their soul that anything is possible when God comes into your life. Anything is possible when your ways meet God's grace. These are the kind of people that God's called us to be. It's unbelievable to me the difference you can have in somebody's life with your words. So who needs you to take a risk on them? 
Who needs you to just believe in them even though everyone else has completely given up on them? 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Build each other up. Like, we have that opportunity with our words. So, last question that I want to ask you, and I think this is a really important one. Technically, it's two questions. Who has God placed in your life, and what do they need to hear you say? This is like just the most practical message that you may ever hear. It's just so simple. It's just who has God placed in your life, and what do they need to hear you say? Um... Maybe for some of you husbands, you think about your wife that God's placed in your life. What do they need to hear you say? Maybe it's as simple as she needs to hear from you. Um, I believe that you are an unbelievable gift to me from God. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, Pete, yeah, but she already knows that. I get it. But there's power in the words, right? Scripture didn't say there's power in having the thought. Right? The power comes in the words. The power comes in speaking those words over her. Ladies, what does your husband need to hear from you? Maybe it's simple as, you know what? I, I want you to know you, you, you have what it takes. You got what it takes. I believe in you. And again, the temptation for you is like, oh, he's got all the confidence in the world. He does great at everything that he does. No, 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 no. Listen, the point is there's power in the words. And when you speak those words over him, what that does to his heart and to his soul. What do your kids need to hear from you? Maybe your kids just need to hear simply the words, I love you. I love you. There's power in those words. And again, the, the, the temptation is to think, well, like they know that I'm paying for their college or I'm, you know, I bought them a car or whatever. No, but there's power in the words. I discovered this in uh, my relationship with my dad. Uh, he and I have a wonderful relationship to this day, but early on, my dad did not know how to use the power of words in intimate settings. And so I was well into college before I ever heard my dad say, I love you. Now, I knew my dad loved me. My dad was always there for me. He, like, my car broke down on the side of the road. He was going to be the first person I called because I knew he would drop everything and he would come to take care of me. But I didn't hear those words until much later on in life. And when I did, it changed everything. I knew that he loved me, but to hear those words spoken over me from him changed everything. What do your kids need to hear from you? And don't stop saying these things. It doesn't matter if they're 35, 45, 55 years old. They still need to hear these words from you. How about the people you lead? What do they need to hear from you? Maybe they just need to hear from you. Hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, I appreciate you being a part of the team. And again, what's the temptation? The temptation is to think, oh, that's what they get paid for. No, 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 no. Listen, you're missing the point. There's power in the words. And I know, I know sometimes some of us just aren't comfortable. Kind of, well, I just talked about my dad. Some of you grew up in a family, like for my dad, my dad's dad never used words in this way. So my dad was at a huge disadvantage because that had never been modeled for him. He didn't know what that looked like. So I, I understand some of you are at a huge disadvantage because you grew up in a family where people just didn't use words in an intimate way like that. So it's a struggle for you. It feels very uncomfortable for you. I get that. I just think you choosing comfort over using the power of your words is a tragic choice. So my encouragement to you is to push through that discomfort. It is not 
an accident that God has designed the human soul to be impacted by the power of words. So your words are either life-giving or they're life-taking. So who has God placed in your life? And what do they need to hear from you? Who has God placed in your life and what do they need to hear from you? What do they need to hear from you today? And maybe for you, it's a letter you need to write. Maybe it's a phone call you need to make. Maybe it's somebody you need to meet this afternoon and just have a conversation with. But there's somebody who needs to hear something from you. God has created an element of power in our words, and it's not by accident. So let's use them in a way that's life-giving. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, for um, bringing us to this place where today, with our words, we were able to worship you. And then even in that moment, there was, there was power to those words. Like, we felt that as we worshiped you today. God, some of us today have been reminded of the power of words, and maybe for us, uh, for some of us, it, it, it brings up some real pain. Today, we were reminded of something really hurtful that was said to us, maybe even decades ago. So God, for those of us that, that feel that pain and that sting today, I, I pray, God, that you would meet us with your healing. We know that might not be an instant healing, God, but it may begin the process of healing. You are the great physician. You are the great healer. And we ask you to meet us in the middle of that pain. For others of us today, we've been reminded of just the power of every word that we speak, that there's no such thing as a neutral word. We've been reminded and we've been challenged that we want to use our words in a life-giving way. We want to be like a Barnabas and use our words to build people up because those very words can build people up and then those people can go out and they can change the world. So God, I pray you would help each one of us to wrestle with who is it that you've placed in our life and what do they need to hear from us. God, may we walk out of this place knowing that our words really do matter. And we have the choice to use them in a life-giving or a life-taking way. God, I pray that you would be with the conversations that need to, to take place. I pray that you'll give people courage to use their words in that kind of way. For it's in your holy and in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Okay, real quick before we go. Uh, this is really important for those of you that are in um, one of our regional campuses. Uh, your pastors, Colston and Jeff, have an announcement that they want to uh, share with you. So those of you in Brighton and Grove Seal, I'm going to toss it to your campus pastors right now so they can uh, chat with you for a second. And for those of you that are here in Plymouth, real important before you take off, I want you to hear this. Um, you have the opportunity today to hear some vision about some really exciting things that are going to be taking place this fall. Uh, and if you have ever um, led a small group or a community group here at Northridge, if you've been seriously considering wanting to lead and being open to leading a small group uh, or a community group here at Northridge, I would love the opportunity to just take like 10 minutes to cast a little vision to you about some really exciting things this fall. I've been wanting to meet a lot of you personally anyway, so this would be a great opportunity. All you have to do is as soon as we let out of here, go to room 2217. You do have to go pick up your kids if you have kids uh, before that. If you don't have kids, don't pick up somebody else's kids, all right? You just pick up your own kids and then come to room 2217. Uh, we're going to have a fabulous uh, steak breakfast there for you. 
or crackers or something, and, uh, but there will be some snacks. And again, room 2217, I would love to tell you about some really exciting things that we're doing this fall. So again, if you've led a group or community group or you've been seriously considering being open to that, I'd love to just tell you a little bit more, okay? For the rest of you, you can take off. Have an amazing weekend, and uh, we'll see you next weekend. God bless.